Okay. Um, I want to commend our uh, lay elders who labor in preaching and teaching. Um, Reese not only has uh, a wife, four kids, full-time job, part-time job, and coaches Little League softball. Um, he also did a great job last week preaching and preparing. So we're, we're grateful and thank you. Matthew 18. At that time, Jesus came to uh, the disciples, came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child not only enters the kingdom of heaven, but this one is also the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 10, see to it, see to it, make sure, do everything in your capacity to do, see to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. This is God's word. So, and it's heavy, it's, it's happy, and then it's really, really, really... Heavy. So Matthew 18 opens up a, a, a new section of teaching from Jesus aimed at showing how disciples are to live together, how we're to welcome each other, how we're to treat each other, fight for each other um, as the day gets closer. Okay, As that day is drawing near, Jesus says, Matthew 18, here's how you live, here's how you do life. And so the next three weeks, we're just going to hammer this theme over and over and over again. Today, 1 through 10 teaches how to get into the kingdom, how to welcome others into that kingdom, and then the dire consequences of not taking that seriously, okay, of, of, of doing that half-heartedly or antagonistically. 11 through 20, the next section, shows how to bring back a brother who has strayed, okay, who, who has gone off. How do we bring the, the, the sheep back into the fold? And then 21 through 35, which uh, Max will share on, shows the sort of forgiveness that's to be exemplified in the community of the disciples. Okay, So how do you react when someone sins against you based on the forgiveness that God has given, given you? Okay, I, I gave Max the, maybe the best chapter in the whole Bible. Okay? And just the easiest parable to understand. Okay, It's very, very good. So pick up here, verse verse um, 18, Jesus has to remind the disciples again that there is a, a cross before the kingdom. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're asking when the Messiah comes to Jerusalem, okay, when he takes up David's throne, raises the dead, regathers Israel's 12 tribes, crushes Israel's enemies, beautifies the temple, brings in everlasting righteousness and the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. When that happens, they're asking, who's going to sit next to you, Jesus? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who will be considered on that day great and rule and reign with you? And there's nothing inherently wrong with the question, okay? 
Based on who Jesus has shown himself to be, this is totally logical. They are convinced, okay, especially the three who saw him transfigured on the mountain. They're convinced Jesus is the guy. He is the Messiah. And so someone is going to rule and reign with the Messiah, right? Someone's going to sit on those 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So who, who is it going to be? So there's nothing wrong with the question, but their question shows they haven't been listening to Jesus. Okay. As it as it happens, okay, though Jesus has over and over and over spoken explicitly about the cross before the kingdom, they're only hearing the kingdom stuff. And you can relate, right? You know, no one's like, I just love the cross. I love living. No, you, you, you live the cross to get the kingdom. You, we naturally skip the cross to, to get there. So Matthew 5, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted. Now, a cross before the kingdom, Matthew 10, Jesus says they persecute me. They'll persecute you. Whoever does not take up his cross and lose his life is not worthy of the kingdom. Matthew 12, the son of man will go into the earth. Matthew 16, Jesus says it's necessary. The son of man go to Jerusalem, uh, suffer many things at the hands of evil men, be crucified and, and killed. And then also be raised. Therefore, deny yourself, take up your cross. Follow me. Matthew 17, Jesus second prediction, the son of man will be betrayed And killed. So over and over and over and over and over, Jesus has said, cross first, then kingdom. And here they're saying, so kingdom, right? 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 They're they're doing, they're, they're not hearing it. They're skipping straight over the cross to the kingdom, asking, well, who's going to be the greatest? So to combat this kingdom without the cross attitude, once again, Jesus points them to the the kind of heart posture and the kind of actual lifestyle that that we live that's necessary to enter the kingdom when it comes. So verse 2, he called a small child. Who's the greatest? Let me grab this little kid. Okay, so we got a bunch of adults here and and a little kid. Verse 3, truly I tell you, unless you, talking to the disciples, unless you turn... And you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is almost saying, hey, pump the brakes on who the greatest in the kingdom is first. Let's get in first, right? Unless you turn, you don't enter. And then we'll deal with with the greatness thing. Therefore, verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus doing with this object lesson? Why, why is he saying to enter the kingdom, they must become like children? Okay. What is it about children positively okay, <laughs> that Jesus is commending? And I emphasize positively because Jesus also emphasizes negative aspects of children. Matthew 11, right? he's talking to the Pharisees and scribes. He said, you guys are bratty little children, right? So not just children in general are awesome. They'll... We love children in general. There are positive and negative attributes to them. Okay. Why is he saying to enter the kingdom, they must become like children? I think it's three things. Dependency, obedience, and humble and lowly status. Okay. So first, children are utterly dependent on their parents to live. Okay. Absolutely. Food, water, shelter, clothing. They have none of these things without the care of a parent. And I think this emphasizes the point from a few weeks ago when the disciples, they couldn't cast out a demon because they're trusting in themselves and and not in the Lord. It's an issue of trust and dependence and, and neediness upon the Lord. So in the same way, this theme runs all the way through the scriptures. Israel will not inherit the promises without faith. 
They absolutely will not. The disciples could not do their ministry a few weeks ago without faith. And no one here will enter the kingdom of heaven without faith, without neediness, without dependence on someone outside of themselves to get done what needs done. So you get this kind of refrain from Song of Songs 8. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on, trusting and dependent on their, their beloved? This is how children exist. Okay? There's dependency on on parents. Second, um, obedience. So first, to inherit the kingdom, become like a child because children are dependent. Second, to inherit the kingdom, become like a child because children are obedient. Okay? All right. But don't push it too far. It will break. Okay? But ch- children are obviously not always obedient. But in this story, they are. Right? Jesus calls a child and, and the child comes. And so I think in times of crisis, children really are obedient. Okay? When things are, are, are nice and fun and happy, their, their honoriness goes up. But when things are serious and there's a fire or a big dog or, or an ouchie, they're very obedient, right? At a holiday, you say, hey, come here. They go, no, right? But if there's a fire, you say, come here. You know what I mean? Like they, they, sprint, they sprint towards you, okay? In a time of crisis, children are... Hopefully, generally, um, immediately obedient. So regarding the disciples, become like children. What does Jesus call them to be obedient in? It's crisis of all, all different sorts. Loving their enemies. Carrying a cross. Being faithful unto death so as to inherit eternal life. So first to inherit the kingdom, become like a child because children are dependent. Just by who they are. They don't have a choice to be dependent or not. They have to. Second, to inherit the kingdom, become like a child because children are generally obedient. Third, and what I think the main point Jesus is trying to drive home is become like a child because children are of humble and lowly status. Verse three, unless you turn and become like children, lowly, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles, so children, humble, whoever humbles himself like this child This one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, oh, you want to be great in the kingdom, then become the least and the lowest and the smallest now. And if you've been a a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've heard this, right? It's probably what drew you to Jesus in the first place. A king who washed his feet, a king who serves and and gives himself. I haven't experienced anything like that. Give me more of this this Jesus, okay, Mark 9.35, his, his version of the story, Jesus, same, same context, says, If anyone wants to be first, okay, then in the coming age, he must be last and servant of all now, in the present age. Okay, eschatology drives discipleship. What things will be then, how things will be then, drives how you live now. The least now will be the greatest then. The servant now will be the king then. And Jesus follows these same rules, right? And this is another reason we just love Jesus is he doesn't call us to do things that he himself doesn't do, right? Like this is like the ideal thing in any any sphere of life, any sphere of life where there's a leader, you want them to do what they tell you to do. You want them to act in the same way they're teaching you to act. And no one does this better than Jesus. His own right to rule, okay? His birthright and inheritance as the Messianic King is based upon his own life of service and humility. Okay, God, the Father doesn't give the Son the kingdom just because he's his son. Okay, that you could make an argument for that. What the Scriptures tell us is God gives the kingdom to the Son. The Father gives the kingdom to the Son because the Son earned it. 
Because he showed in his life he's actually worthy and deserving of it. He has all goodness and all power to do the thing in the right way that we all long for and want to see, right? Yes. <laughs> you want this. You want the guy on the throne to be perfectly good, okay, and have a heart of love and perfectly powerful to actually execute what needs to be done. His, his life of obedience service is why. God exalts him. So just a couple scriptures that bear this out. Matthew 20, we'll hit this uh, uh, later this year. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as what? The son of man. Divine, kingly title. He came not to be served, but to serve. And because he served, he will be great. Because he came became a slave, he will be the ru- Does that make sense? Just over and over, Matthew 23, the greatest among you, kingly, shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself, whoever chooses the lowest place, which Jesus did and which Jesus still does, right? At, at, at the end of the age, at the, the messianic feast and banquet, you know who's serving the meal? Jesus is asking if he can top you off, pal. Unbelievable. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So you see why Paul writes what he writes, Philippians 2, do do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what's the example of that? Is Paul just saying things? Or do we have a concrete, real life that we can look at to live this way? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. And how did Jesus empty? Like, how does he, be careful there, how, how does he do it? Okay? How does he give himself by taking the form of a servant? Jesus shows his right to rule, his right to reign, his worthiness of it by becoming of low and humble status. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He became low like a child. How how does Jesus humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is the ultimate act of self-service? The ultimate act of self-giving is my life for your life, okay? So we've got this whole, you know, Paul's big long thing here about the, the, the humility and the uh, uh, obedience of Jesus in, for the sake of others. You've got the whole big thing, like Paul is, you know, got the whole big thing. And then Paul says, therefore, okay, in view of all of this, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every other name. So the lowest in the world. Okay, the one, no one has gone lower than Jesus now after the cross is the highest lifted up above every other name in the universe. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. His right to rule is based on his voluntary servanthood and humility and lowliness. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and says, same with you. And I'm looking at you this morning and saying, same with you. Follow Jesus. Be like Jesus. Choose to go low for the sake of others and you will be made great. Like, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a godly motivation for how to live. So I want to live like Jesus, humble and lowly now and be exalted then.
And in the age to come, you still serve people in the same way. If you want to be great, then you serve now. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child, this one will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? Later, you'll rule over ten cities. Faithful with little now, okay? So you can actually be great in that day, okay? Normal, ordinary, lovely, wonderful people in Tonkwa, Oklahoma, okay? I love you guys so much. I like that um, that we get to live in Tonkawa and have gotten to live in Tonkawa for a long time with you is just the highest honor and privilege and joy. It just is, okay? So to you, you can actually be considered great in that day, not because you preached to millions, okay? Not because you performed miracles or because you spoke with tongues of men and angels, okay? You can be great in that day because you served. Because you voluntarily chose to be last wherever the Lord has placed you. Okay, Wherever he's placed you, if you choose to be last, you'll be great. So if that's in a job, by acting in integrity with your bosses and co-workers and employees. If that's in a family, by serving your spouse and your children. If in a church, by esteeming others as more important than yourself. You do that, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says. Our, our, our nursery workers, our, our, our children's servers, and anyone who serves the elderly are great because they serve the least. Okay, Karen, Karen Williams isn't here today, so I can say this because she gets mad if I say it when she's here. Um, Karen lives right next to an elderly lady who can do nothing for herself. And Karen gives herself every single day to serving this lady just out of love, out of, out of goodwill. Maybe because Karen's a Christian. You know what I mean? No, no one bent her arm to go and, and serve this lady every single day, but here she is. And Jesus said, and, and no one outside of this room is ever going to know who Karen Williams is. The Lord does. The Lord will. Karen will be famous in the age to come. You guys know Karen Williams? Yeah, she was with our church in Tonkawa. Why? Why? Was she a great preacher? Did she perform miracles? What? Oh no, she just changed the bedpan for an old lady for years. And Jesus says, that's great. Matters now how we go low and how we serve. And it matters for billions and billions and billions of years. So you guys who serve those who are low, you guys who go low yourselves to make other people great, now the heart of man can't imagine what God has prepared for those. Okay? Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And so I'm part of a congregation full of great people. Okay? And we're raising kids who will be great people. And grandkids who will be great people because of the example of of voluntary humility and service and love. Okay? So don't take your life lightly. Don't think your life is, is insignificant. It's a very big deal in the eyes of the Lord and will be a very big deal in the eyes of the entire earth on that day. Okay. Then Jesus takes it a step further. Not only are we to become like children, we're to welcome other children in. Verse 5, whoever welcomes one child like this in my name. Okay. So whoever welcomes another person 
who has heard the call of the Messiah, who's humbled themselves, picked up the cross, chosen to follow him. Whoever welcomes them, Jesus says, you welcome me too, right? Like, late, you know, later in Hebrew, you entertain angels, but, but you don't know who welcomes me. See to it, verse 10, that you don't despise any of the little ones. So now we're moving into like the community um, relations, the theme of the whole chapter. You become like children, humble yourself, go low, serve others. But then you welcome other children in. And we're going to do this today, right? We're going to welcome Ryan and Brittany in Jesus' name. It's going to be a big, happy deal. Like, I guess it, like, you know, I just want to keep doing this. I want to keep welcoming people in that have chosen to follow Jesus um, with us. So if it's a big, exciting deal to welcome people in, why does Jesus have to command it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't need commanded to eat cake. If I see it, I eat, I eat it. Okay. You got to command stuff. Why? Because your flesh might not want to automatically do do that. I was reading this week. I was like, oh, why does he command this? And then I thought about it. Oh, that's why. That's why he commands it. Why does Jesus, in talking about welcoming other children in, specifically say, don't despise them? Okay? Because... Sometimes these little children whom God loves and Jesus died for are hard to deal with. Okay? In the youth ministry world, they called them EGR, extra grace required. Okay? Which is not fair. We're all EGR. All right? Like, all right. That's why we sing, come, come thou fount. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Okay, because these little children are sometimes hard to do this. So if if you don't know this, I'll just remind you, every child that we've welcomed into our body, okay, from 1896 to 2022, every single one of them is a sinner. Did you know that? Okay, every single one. We sin. We don't want to. Okay, that's that's like the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. But while we're presently in these bodies of death, we sin against God and we sin against each other. I don't know if you know that. Okay, if you don't, I guess praise God, but you will. If you live a little bit, bit longer, we sin against God and we sin against each other. And I know that you know that mentally, right? If I asked you, do Christians sin? You would say, yes, but I'm not sure you actually believe it. Not sure I actually believe it because when a Christian does sin, we're shocked. Do Christians sin? Yeah, of course they sin. And then they actually sin and we're like, oh my gosh, what was that about? When they actually sin. So when a church member, okay, a fellow believer, a child we've welcomed in, makes a political statement you don't like, makes a comment you found hurtful, does something you didn't want them to do, or doesn't do something you did want them to do. Okay. Why didn't they do that? Well, they didn't know, okay? Inwardly or outwardly, we're shocked. I can't believe that believer, that child sinned. And those are all kind of, you know, little sins, right? Slips of of the tongue, misunderstandings, those those kinds of things. But we're really shocked when a church member, a child that we've welcomed in, sins in uh, bigly, right? Makes a whole slew of bad decisions and gets drunk. (gasps) Not yet married, but gets pregnant. Doesn't depend on God to provide and makes unethical business or financial choices in in those big things, right? We would 
In those instances, it's easy for the believing community to have a posture that is unwelcoming and for that child to become despised, the very thing Jesus commands us not to do. Therefore, Jesus, as a good shepherd and good leader and wise God, gives us instruction in in greater detail later in Matthew 18. We'll do that next week. Gives us instruction quickly here at the beginning on how to treat children who sin. Okay, how to treat children that we've welcomed in when they're hard to welcome in. And the instruction is, assuming repentance, again later in 18, the instruction is, welcome them and do not despise them. Welcome them and do not despise them. Our, our, our church, our assembly, these people, this, this should be a dangerous place for sin, right? Because when it comes in and, 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 and gets around us, it dies, We kill it with with grace and love and the spirit and God's instruction. The church should be a dangerous place for sin and a safe place for people who are being rescued out of it. Okay, this is the this is the instruction, right? Don't despise them. You welcome them in, but they're little children and they mess up when they repent. You welcome them in. Do not despise them. And so, you know, I don't think that this is just in the text this week. I don't think it's an issue, but man. This has to be our, our default heart posture is when one of our members sins against us, against God, and they're repentant. We do not despise them. We welcome them in. We don't keep a tally of all, you know, love keeps no record of wrong. Like, we welcome and do not despise. We'll say more about that next week. So if you're going to skip church, next week's the one. All right? All right. And then for the last part of this section, Jesus gives a warning, a warning to those who would cause children. It would cause believers, members of the community to to stumble. Verse six, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. So now we're not just talking about physical children here. OK, now we're talking about people. OK, whoever or it could be children too. both. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him. If a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse seven. Woe to that person. By whom the offense comes. Okay, so you see what Jesus is doing here. People have humbled themselves, picked up the cross, and joined the community. Praise God. Okay, like I said, we're welcome Ryan and Brittany in today, and y'all better be loud because it's happy, joyful thing. But then they fell away, and not you guys, someone hypothetically. Okay, (laughs) then they fell away. They, 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 They stumbled. Why? This section, because of the sinful influence of the people within this community, caused them to fall away. Someone in the community caused them to stumble. Now, that doesn't eliminate personal responsibility from the one that fell away. But it does provide serious motivation for the rest of the community to not be the cause of it. If people are going to fall away and leave the Lord, it's not going to be because of us. Because it's, it's serious. And so, in light of this, we take every action and we make every effort to ensure that we do not cause others to stumble into sin or to fall away. Verse 8, if your hand causes you or those in the community to fall away, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed than be thrown into the eternal fire. Do you see? Like this, this is just great motivation to kill sin, and we'll take all the motivation we can get. Okay, if Jesus is if, if Jesus is dangling a carrot out there as motivation not to sin, we'll take the carrot. If he's brandishing a whip to 
get us to eternal life, we'll take the whip. We need all the motivation that we can get. So killing sin, mortifying the flesh, not only for my own sake, okay? Because I don't want a millstone around my neck. Because I don't want thrown into Gehenna. But also for the sake of my church family. You understand that? Like your life before God is going to, whether you realize it or not, affect the rest of our community. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's just how it works. This is what Jesus is saying. Your sin, your giving into temptation affects all of us and it affects the little children that Jesus has been talking about. Who've been welcomed in, who we've not despised and have, have brought in. Your, your stumbling, willful stumbling, can invariably lead to... To theirs, okay? Did my bot? Did you guys read Chronicles this morning? No, I'll spoil it for you. All right. Uh, Satan incites, uh, which is just a communi- uh, confusing passage. Satan incites David to sin against the Lord. David does it, and the consequences of David's sin are seventy thousand Israelites killed. They didn't do anything, but David's sin caused them all to to, to stumble and and to die. Now. Obviously, there would have been righteous Israelites there who will inherit eternal life on the day. So, not all horrible. Uh, uh, Joshua chapter 6 and 7, they march around Jericho. The walls come down. They're not to take any of the spoils. Achan takes some. There's sin in the camp and people are dying. Like, you, you cannot get past our own sin affecting deeply those that we've, we've committed to. It, it, it's just... It's just how it happened. And so Jesus says, if this is the case, woe to you. When Je- it's a millstone in a lake of fire. So to love the little ones, we take our own sins seriously. Okay? Your flesh wants to get drunk. Mine doesn't. I think it's gross. I, you know. Your flesh wants to get drunk, and I don't think I've ever covered a, a drunkenness passage, but I'll just say here, there is zero place, absolutely zero place for drunkenness in the life of a believer. Zero. Disciples of Jesus, under no circumstances, get drunk, ever. 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 Okay? So you don't do it for your own sake, because you don't want the flames, but you also don't do it for the sake of the little ones. You don't do it because it would cause others to stumble. Your flesh wants to browse that website. You don't do it because you don't want the flames. You don't want the millstone. But you also don't do it because of how it will affect the rest of your family. Do you know what that does? It drains your energy, your attention that you have for your wife and children. And it effectively makes you absentee at home. And you know what absentee parents at home do? They don't raise kids. And kids just grow up and they're discipled by the world instead of by their parents and by their churches. And you've caused the little one to stumble. Okay? Give a million different examples here. What I'm saying is this is peer pressure of the best kind. Jesus adding like, look, you don't want the flames. But you also don't want to be the cause of someone else. Jesus motivates us not only to kill sin by the power of the Spirit for our own sake, but also for the sake of... Of those in the community that God has entrusted to us. So we're going to take, we're going to take our own sins seriously because we love one another. Because we love God. Okay, that's not in this passage, but we know that we, we love God. We want to please Him and serve Him. 
And, and then for our own sake and our own good. But the emphasis of this passage is you kill sin in your own life for the sake of these little ones. Robert, would you come help us, please? So this is how Jesus' discourse in Matthew 18 begins. Calling all of us to remember there's a cross before the kingdom. Calling all of us to become like children in obedience and lowly status and dependency. To welcome any and all who call on his name, you know, regardless of what they look like or smell like or whatever. We welcome them in. Okay, the bar to be a member of Christian Life Church is to be repentant and put your trust in, in Jesus. To call to mortify our flesh, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the community, okay? So to close, I just want to talk to two, two groups, okay? First, to, to the sin-trapped Christian, okay? God loves you and God does not despise you, okay? God loves you and God does not despise you. Micah 7 which is just a helpful verse to have in your arsenal in this age. You won't need it in the age to come. Micah 7, do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. So you who are aiming to get out of sin, to get out of its clutches, to get out of that, that trap, don't rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I've fallen, I'm going to get up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Okay. So if this is you... Talk to me, talk to our elders. It doesn't have to be your whole life, okay? There's actual freedom in the Lord from sin, okay? Second, to the unbeliever, okay? You're not struggling with sin, you're just a sinner, all right? To the unbeliever, Jesus is very clear. Unless you turn, unless you, unless you repent, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there is a real kingdom coming, And there's a real fire coming, the kingdom for the righteous, the fire for the unrighteous. And unless you turn, you will inherit the flame. So turn. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins. And our church exists to help you do that. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, you don't know what it means to repent. You don't know what it means to follow Jesus. If you're sitting next to a member of our church talk to them they can tell you come talk to me after come talk to any of these elders after but don't leave today not trusting in jesus leave today assured that by faith you will inherit eternal life let's pray father thank you for the teaching of jesus the words of jesus uh thank you for the heart of jesus that has welcomed us in that has not despised us in our in our sin, that hasn't despised us despite all the, the thoughts and actions and feelings and, and words and ways that we have done that would deserve despising. You've welcomed us in. You've become like a servant. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we are grateful for it. We rejoice in it. Thank you for this teaching. And so I ask that this week, by the Spirit, uh, we'd walk this out in obedience and, and humility and serve the least. This week, we'd welcome in um, anyone who calls on your name. And God, I thank you for the power of the Spirit and the, the, uh, the, the power of a, of a believing community, God, that we can kill sin. 
that we can crucify our flesh now and receive new ones in the age to come. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. And so our elders will be at the front um, for anyone who wants prayer. If it has to do with this, awesome. If it has to do with anything else, awesome. Uh, so come pray with an elder. Pray in your robe. But this time is, is for prayer, so, so don't check out. Let's pray.